You ever seen those videos of people getting frostbite? You ever seen that? It's kind of a scary thing, right? Sometimes you throw around the word frostbite with people, like, oh, it's so cold, I'm going to get frostbite. That is until you see a video of what frostbite actually does. I don't know if you've seen, there was a viral video of this person. I don't know if it was a guy or a girl. They just had their fingers, and they were completely black, like right above their knuckles, just completely black. And what they did was, this is the funny part of the video, they were taking their fingers and just hitting them against a, like a thing of metal, and it was just like rock solid. Their fingers had lost all blood flow, and that's what happens. So if you get frostbite to the fourth extreme stage of frostbite, it's where there's no blood that goes to your hands at all, not your hands, but your fingers, or wherever you get frostbite, and it turns rock solid. It's actually a form of gangrene. It's called dry gangrene. And what happens is, once it gets to that stage, there is really no longer any possibility for those fingers to ever work again. So in order to stop any kind of gangrene from spreading to different parts of your body, which is you know, super dangerous, the thing that they say that you got to do is amputate. So whoever on TikTok or whatever that shows their, their fingers and they're completely black and they're rock solid, what happened right after that, probably in the next 24 hours, is they had all their fingers amputated, right? So it doesn't make, you know, it's not as funny of a joke anymore once you realize that they lost those fingers um, surgically in the next couple of uh, hours. I, I bring that up because there are some times where things get so extreme and so bad that the safest thing for your whole body to do would be to amputate. That has to happen sometimes. It's not a good thing. Certainly, it's not a pleasant thing. And it's not something anybody strives for. But if what it will do is save the rest of your body, the doctor's like, you got really no choice here. I guess your other choice is you can die, but we're kind of assuming you don't want to die. So be better to amputate. Jesus uses that analogy of amputation, as gross as it is, he uses it in the passage that we're about to talk about, where he says, there is a problem and a sin that's so sinister, so problematic, that even if you had to amputate to save your body, the rest of yourself from it, it would be better off for you to amputate than to keep this problem up. The problem that he mentions is sexual sin. In particular, sexual lust that he didn't even come out in a form of some kind of open like immorality. It's not like he's talking about sleeping around or anything like that. He's just talking about in the mind. It's so crazy because the way Jesus presents this is more intense than you would or I would. It's more intense than we would naturally think. He says it's such a big problem that it actually will lead people to hell if they don't repent of it. If there's not some kind of dramatic action that's taken, there are people even in this room, who are on your way to hell. And what I mean by that is you're a person that refuses to repent of your sin and you refuse to trust Christ and you're on a pathway towards hell. Jesus even brings up that word hell. Some of us are on that pathway and the reason, if we had to boil it down to one thing, the reason for some of us is because we have hidden secret sexual sin. And Jesus brings it up. And he says, you know what? It'd be better to amputate. If you say, oh, no, it's just my hand that's causing me to sin. He says, it'd be better for you to lose the hand then. That's how serious it is. And some people might say, oh, it's my eye that's causing me to sin. And Jesus says, you know it'd be better than you sinning? Losing an eye. He says, it'd be better than your whole body being thrown into hell, wouldn't it? And he's making this argument 
that we need to take really seriously because Jesus takes this idea of sexual sin not just out there, but in here extremely seriously. And we need to as well. I want you to check out this passage with me. Matthew chapter 5, a very serious passage. Anytime you're talking about amputation, we've reached kind of the end of uh, dealing with it in other ways. I mean, that's the most extreme thing you could do. Jesus says in this passage, after he's just explained last time, you know, if you're a person who thinks you're not that bad because you've never murdered anybody, he says, you are guilty with God in your heart, even if you just hated them. Even if you were just angry, even if you just, with your mouth, insulted, that before a holy God condemns you as a sinner deserving of judgment. Now he's going to go on to something a little bit more secret and a little bit more private, because I could imagine some of you are pretty excited, actually, to tell other people about your anger. You do it through forms of gossip and slander, right? So we're a little less ashamed of anger, so much so sometimes we tell people, oh, I'm so mad at that person. You know, one thing that we usually don't tell people and we're excited to share with people is if there's secret sexual sin in our hearts or our lives. That's not something that we're just so quick to share. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 27. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's an Old Testament command, right? Let's define adultery. What does that mean? Adultery is when someone who's married cheats on their spouse, right? So that'd be like a married person having sex with some other married person. That's not their spouse, right? That's adultery, right? Or, furthermore, it could be a non-married person having sex with a married person that's not their spouse. That's adultery. Now, that's a specific kind of sexual sin. It's not the only one that Jesus will ever bring up, but it's the one he's talking about in this passage. He says, the Old Testament says, you should not commit adultery. And at that point, some of the Pharisees, some of the people listening said, oh, it's so good. I haven't done that. I didn't go all the way. I, I, I didn't do that. I mean, a lot of you would say, you've never had sex with a married person, right? Oh, cool. I haven't committed adultery then. Look what he says next. But I say to you, gains the heart of what God commanded, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's very interesting. He says, when a person looks at someone else of the opposite gender, and they say, look at them, and the intent of the looking and the intent of the gazing, even the word looking, it doesn't mean that you saw somebody. There's a different phrase that you would use for that. You would say, oh, I saw somebody. This is not pinpoint action. This is ongoing. It's like if you're a looker. I know that's kind of a weird word, but it's taking the word look and turning it into like, like you, you're, a, you're a person who looks. So it says a person who is looking with lust, continually, regularly, looking at them because you have sexual lust in your heart for them, he says you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. It's interesting. He doesn't even say it's when you look at them. He says the people who are looking because of what's going on in their heart, the adultery in God's eyes has already been committed even before the look happens. Obviously, the look doesn't help, and the look is sinful too, but this is an extreme standard that Jesus is holding up. He says, amputate. What? Why would he say amputate? Well, because you could imagine some people would say, wait a minute. If just looking with lust is going to get in trouble with God, well, then, like, you'd have to tear out my eye. Or if committing adultery, things like that, has to do with my hand, well, then, like, I'd have to lose my hand. And Jesus says, oh, that's interesting that you might bring that up. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members, which in the New Testament, that word member is the word melos, and it's always translated members for some reason. You're like, what's a member? It's a part, your body part. This is better for you to lose a body part, obviously, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's Jesus' words, not mine. Verse 30, he says, oh, and if your right hand causes you to sin, well, then cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Did you know that Jesus said this? Did you, have you thought about this? This is something that Jesus, the, the wise sage, right? maybe you're not a Christian and maybe you're just starting to know who Jesus is. Did you know that Jesus said this? He's so extreme, not just about purity of life, but purity of heart, that he says, you need to do whatever's necessary to have a pure heart. Remember, he talked about that, actually, in the Beatitudes, in verse 8 of our chapter. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? If you invert that, it's like the people who refuse to repent of sexual sin. The people who refuse, not just out, and when I talk about sexual sin, right, I know primarily we're talking about out there, right, external, right, using your body to do something immoral. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to use your body to do something immoral, for you to be immoral in your heart and for you to sin before God in your heart. Like, this is, this is big, big news. And maybe it's not news to you. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you know this. And you're like, okay, yeah, I know Jesus says that. But I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your heart this morning. Jesus treats this as such a serious thing. The, the right eye and the right hand, right? They were obviously... Your right side, that was like in the Bible times. It's your most important side, right? It's the, the, the hand you use to write with, your right eye. It's used even in the Old Testament to talk about the thing that's most precious to you, right? So some people have read this and said, okay, is Jesus saying, I need to cut off my hand if it's leading me to sin? I want you to think that through. Think one step beyond that. Let's say you did, okay? I'm not advising it, but let's say you did, and you cut off your hand, right? W- would that stop your porn usage? Would that really end masturbation for you if you cut off your right hand, right? You'd probably figure out how to use your left hand, right? Oh, and let's say you lost both. Right? Would it then therefore be impossible to sin in any of you? Well, no, then you just do something else, right? Oh, and then what if you gouged out your eye? What if you could never look at pornography again ever because both your eyes are gone, you blinded yourself? What if you did that? You know, where the problem was, was not with your eyes, it's with your heart. People have done this to themselves, and they've written to tell the tale. There's one famous person in the, in the, like the 400s, his name was Jerome. He's actually the reason why the Catholic Church has the Latin Bible. He's translated from Hebrew and Greek to Latin, uh, Jerome. He was so intent on ridding his body of lust that he thought maybe if I mess up my body, he rolled over hot coals and thought that that would kind of solve his problem. It didn't solve his problem. Then he thought, you know what? Maybe if I just castrate myself, maybe that will fix my problem of lust. He wrote about it, and he said, I did all that. I was so ashamed. Guess what? Didn't help. Didn't help. So I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, what you should do is cut off your hand and tear out your eye, because where is the location of this sin? Go back to verse 27. Right? You should not commit adultery. That's the Old Testament command. But I say to you, everyone who looks, so you got your eye involved for sure, with a woman, or look at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay? So if we want to just pinpoint where the problem is, that's where it is, in the heart. 
Do you remember we preached from Proverbs 4 in the summertime? We said you live your whole life out of your heart. What you look at, why do you look at it? Well, because of your heart. What do you listen to? Why do you listen to that music? Well, it's because of your heart. And it goes both ways, right? You fill your heart with what you look at and what you hear, but also what you want and what, what you desire is what you're going to go look at and what you're going to go listen to and all those things, right? You live out of your heart. So Jesus is taking the problem and saying, okay, some of you, and I'll tell you this to some of you too, uh, if you go to church or you think that you're religiously pure, you might be as impure as the worst of them. That's what some of them needed to hear because in their hearts, many of them were impure. This is a serious, serious sin requiring serious action. That's why two things today, you might notice it's the same outline structure as last week. Right? I want you to admit something and I want you to take some action. Right? That's what we did with anger and that's what we need to do with lust. The first thing that you need to admit is this, point number one. I want you to admit that lustful looking and fantasizing is evil. Admit that lustful looking and fantasizing is evil. That is Jesus' main point of verse 28. It's like, okay, these people did not think that lustful looking was that much of a problem. Well, at least it's not that bad. It's not committing adultery. That's true. It's not committing adultery. Just like you don't need to stand trial in Orange County for hating a brother, even though God says it's wrong, like you would if you murdered somebody. Looking with lust is not the same thing as committing adultery, right? If you were a married person, you say, I want to divorce my spouse because they looked at someone with lust, does the Bible give you permission for that? No, it does not. Because adultery is different than lust, just like murder is different than anger. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is, it is evil too. You are not just and pure just because you haven't committed some outside action. Just like Cain, remember we looked at Cain and Abel? Just like he wasn't righteous and pure before God before he murdered his brother because he was already angry. And did he let that anger go on? Yes, he did. That was a sin too. And what happened when he let that, that anger go on? Well, then he committed an act. This is something that many of you don't realize, but that you, some of you are sowing the seeds of lust in your heart through pornography, through masturbation, through things like that, that will bear some seriously rotten fruit as you continue to live your life. Some of you don't think, you think it's contained, you think it's just, you know, it's just this little thing, it, it can't certainly affect my kids one day, right? That, that's because you don't know how sin works, right? If you thought to the end of what a little thing does, as James says, we have desires that we fester on, this is James 1.4, we're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our desires. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So then we do something even on the outside. And then, oh, guess what happens? When sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Some of us are sowing the seeds. I, I want that image to go in your mind. Some of us are sowing the seeds for future adultery, for future heartache, for future divorce. Because right now, there's sexual immorality going on. Jesus is not saying that the Old Testament did not talk about this. Some people wrongly interpret that. They'll say, oh, well, Jesus is just, you know, this isn't what the Old Testament says. This is just Jesus talking. Well, I want to show you that it's not true. So the passage he's quoting in verse 27 in your text, do not commit adultery. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from uh, those Ten Commandments, right? Remember number seven, right? It's like parents say together, 
the kids, they have, you know, did you ever learn the, the hand signals for Ten Commandments? No. Do you remember what number 10 was? Right? What's commandment number 10? You know? What do you do with to covet? You want. Okay. So think about this. They should have already known that sexual lust for someone that's not their spouse, they should have already known that's wrong. You know why? Because the, like, three verses after, it says don't commit adultery. Listen to this. This is Exodus 20, verse 17. This is commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Interesting. So it's right there too. So there were some Jews at that time who said, it's not sin if you just think about it. There are Jews today, even Jewish political commentators like Dennis Prager, who has gone on the record saying pornography, masturbation, it's not wrong. That's a Christian idea that it's wrong. It's not a Jewish idea that it's wrong. Uh, yeah, it's wrong because of commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, right? Can you do that stuff without coveting your neighbor? No, that's by definition coveting a sexual relationship that you don't have. Therefore, boom, we're already in breach of the 10th commandment. Even before you go steal anything. Do you notice that it doesn't say do not steal? That's another commandment, right? Commandment number 10 is about the heart. Commandment number 10 is one of the most important commandments. In the Old Testament, even Job who wrote so early in the Bible, Job 31.1, he, he was talking about these people that were accusing him of doing these things wrong, and he said, look, I've been really, really serious about my purity, so much so that I made a covenant, I made a promise. I would not gaze, same idea, looking with lust. I would not look with lust on a virgin, is what he said. So this is old, old language, Old Testament language to talk about. I have been very, very careful that I haven't been putting myself in a situation to see people, and I've been, I've been doing my best of that. I really have made a commitment before God. This is the book, of, the book of Job. It was probably written around the same time as the book of Genesis, okay? So this is old stuff. We studied Proverbs 7 this summer. Do you remember that? Father tells a son, hey, there's some big danger if you walk where you shouldn't walk, you go where you shouldn't go, you think about people you shouldn't think about, there's big danger that you will ruin your life with sexual sin. It's all over the Old Testament. How about the most famous person in the whole Old Testament, King David, who messed up his whole family because of sexual sin. You might say, well, that was just adultery, though, right? Where did it start? Do you remember how that whole adultery episode started, if you know your Bible? It says, David was walking on the roof of his house, looking down on his city, and what did he see? He saw a beautiful woman bathing, right? That was how it worked back then. He had the highest, tallest house Look down like a staircase down on these other houses, right? And on one of those houses is somebody that's not his wife. Right? He ruins his life, and he ruins his impact on his family because of this. His kids all start killing each other. Right? The next chapter, his son rapes his daughter, and God's word says, oh, you know what started this whole problem? Because dad didn't control his sexual desires. That's where it all, it's where it all led to. This is just intense stuff that the Old Testament has a lot to say about. And I, I bring that up because some of you will say, hey, Jesus is like changing what the Old Testament said. He's not changing. He's just displaying what the Old Testament teaches here. Yeah. It's backwards thinking to think that looking with lust is not sin. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not as bad. I guess you didn't ruin as much stuff, but it's, it's still sin in its essence, right? Uh, we talked about this last week. This is a big theme of Matthew 5. We start to look at sins and say, some people have said this to you, all sins are equal, right? Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Right? If you know your Bible, you know it's like uh, yes and no. 
right? All sins are equal. In what sense? Well, all sins can condemn you before God, right? We're, we're all sinners before God, and you only have to sin one time to be a lawbreaker. So in that case, it's true. Whether you murder or get angry, whether you commit adultery or you lust, either one of those before God puts you in a category of, of wrongdoer, right? But are all sins equal in their problematic nature before God and others? Well, no, like you're going to get a different punishment for murder than you would for stealing something, right? Which one's worse? Like, we don't like to talk about that because it's kind of interesting. Like, we don't want to make stealing sound like it's not a big deal. They're both a big deal before God, right? And that's true. But is murder a bigger deal? Well, yeah. But where do you start murdering? Well, you start murdering in your heart, and then you go and do it. Where do you start committing adultery? Well, you start in your heart, then you go with your eye, and then you end up committing immorality. This is such a big deal. It's, yeah, okay. You get the point. Admit that lustful looking and fantasizing is evil. I say looking and fantasizing because you look with your eye and you fantasize with your heart, okay? So some of you are like, no, you know, I don't, I don't do that. I, w- I wouldn't look at that kind of bad, I wouldn't do that, right? But you, you fantasize about it. Let me just bring this up too. This might be confusing, but the Bible does not teach that sexual desire is wrong. Okay? Some of you have heard what I said and, he- and heard that. The Bible does not teach that sexual desire is wrong because it'd be foolish for you like Jerome to say, hey, I'll do all that I can to like kill my sexual desire. That's not a good idea. Okay? You shouldn't do that. Sexual desire itself is not wrong. We're talking about sexually immoral lust. So what, what, okay, there's good and bad lust? Well, I guess there is, right? Because I read a book called Song of Solomon that's all about a really excited husband with his really pretty wife, and God says that's really good, right? I see Proverbs 5 saying, don't be stupid. The one who commits adultery lacks sense, and then he turns right around and says, but let your fountain always be blessed. Rejoice always in the wife of your youth right? So we're not condemning sexuality. We're not even condemning sexual drive. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible condemns wrong sexual drive pointed in the wrong direction. And the reason I say this so categorically for you is because if you're a student here, none of you are in a relationship where sex is allowed before God. That's why I'm pretty categorical about it, right? If I'm teaching this to thrive, I'd say, hey guys, um, you know, application point number three would be be really excited about your spouse, Okay, so I'm not saying that sexual drive is wrong, but I'm presenting this to you in such a way because I know that you're in a situation right now, whether you're dating or you're single or anything like that, where sexual drive will likely push you to do wrong. And many of you, you're not even in a necessarily relationship, but the sin can be committed early, right? Even before you go and physically do something, okay? That's what Jesus is very clearly. Everyone who looks... With lust. And if you say, oh, look at a woman, well, does it go both ways? Yes, it goes both ways. Even the word all, right? The word everyone. It doesn't say every man. This isn't a man's commandment. This goes both ways. I know um, the stats have, have shifted over time. There was a time where um, about 20 to 30% of young men were looking at pornography. That has flipped to less than 20% are not looking at pornography. So the number is really like 70 or 80 but then it's like, oh, well, girls are kind of still in that old category of like 20 to 30%. No, now it's over 50% of girls in America are looking at pornography. So I don't want to present this in such a way that thinks that, oh, ladies, hey, this isn't pertaining to you. Because it does. Right? 
And many of you have done that, and you know what I'm talking about. And this resonates with you because you think, yep, I, I know what that's like. I know what that is, right? But this lust is so bad and, and pervasive. And Jesus says, go to such extremes like cutting off and tearing. Like, what do I do about that, okay? That's what point two is all about. Why don't you write this down for point number two? I want you to take extreme measures to maintain your purity. Take extreme measures. Cutting off a hand is an extreme measure. Plucking out an eye is an extreme measure. The right hand and the right eye signified what is most precious to you. Okay. So let me read it in that way. Be willing to get rid of something that is so precious to you. It could be the most intimate thing you have. Be willing to cut even that away for the sake of it. You know what's most precious to most people? It's the most precious thing. You walk around. It's everywhere. It's always in their pocket. It's always in their room. It can't, you can't charge it in another room because, you know, if you charge it in another room, you might die because, you know, you've, Maybe you won't wake up in the morning if your phone's not right by your head, right? I'm talking about your phone. Right? For most people, that is what's most precious to them. So let's input that here and say that's like a right hand or a right eye, okay? You need to be willing to cut off your phone if what that will do is promote your purity. I want you to think, would you be willing to get rid of your phone? Right? Some of you will hear that and be like, hmm, interesting, hmm, Okay. All right, what's for lunch? We got, like, no, think about it. Would you? Would you? Like, could you make, could you survive? Like, you, newsflash, you all could survive. You'd all be fine, right? Just like you'd all be fine without your right eye, right? So I'm not saying, hey, it's not a big deal, but you could all survive without it, okay? Again, this is not the command for everyone, but some of you, even as I talk about this, you think, what's your right hand or your right eye when it comes to sexual lust? For a lot of you, it's your phone. Or maybe it's not your phone. Maybe it's your computer. Maybe it's your iPad. Maybe it's a tablet or a device. Maybe it's your Chromebook. I don't know, right? Get rid of Chromebooks. We all hate those anyway, right? Um, more like cut out your gallbladder. Like, that doesn't matter. You don't even need that, right? But think about it. Would you be willing to cut it off if, in so doing, you would set yourself up to be more pure? Let's even get less extreme. Would you be willing to say, you know what? I just, I just can't, I can't do the social media thing because it's everywhere. It's right in front of me. I can't. I just, if I want to be pure, I just can't. I can't do that. Right? Maybe some people can, right? But I just can't. Not on my phone, right? Not on that device. I just, I can't do it. Right? Um, would you do it? I'm, I'm I want to be specific about this because for a lot of you, you'll hear the sermon and you'll do nothing about it. And you'll walk straight back into the same sin that is leading you to hell. And you won't repent. But there's others of you that think, okay, I, I am stuck. I do have a problem. And I want to tell you, okay, well, then there's some specific things that we should start talking about. If you really want to be pure. Because remember, all this purity, and, and purity gets a bad rap. Like, what does that mean? Um, by maintaining purity, I want to refer back to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. We're not talking about whether or not you're a virgin or not, right? That's not what I mean by purity. I mean whether or not your heart is pure before God. That's what we're maintaining, right? Oh, and by the way, for sure, 
how does that show? Well, it shows in you not sleeping around, absolutely. But someone who's pure in heart wouldn't do that anyway, right? Anyway. Okay, so what does this look like? Um, what I want to do for these subpoints, you're not going to see these come with the Bible verse next to them because they don't come from this text. They come as the practical outworking of what it looks like to cut off something that's close to you, okay? So here's what we want to think through. First thing, got five steps. You, uh, there's letter A, B, C, D, E, but we could just call them step one, step two, step three because these come in sequence. These are things that if you need to cut off sin in your life, they don't just apply to sexual sin, but definitely they do apply to sexual sin. How do we get rid of this kind of sin in our hearts, right? Because that's where it, it dwells in our hearts. It doesn't dwell in your phone. You get rid of your phone, you're going to find another device, right? You get rid of that device, you're going to find another device, right? You don't have a device, you're going to find a person, right? So, like, if the heart doesn't get dealt with, we don't overcome or move past into sin. So, first thing, letter A, step one, confess any sexual sin to a trusted mentor, Confess any sin. If you, want to, if you want to be done with it, if you're willing to repent of it, this is where it starts. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that, right? Well, these points might get really difficult for you then, right? But, but keep listening. Confess any sexual sin to a trusted mentor. Do you know why I say that that's a good idea? It's not just because, hey, telling somebody is probably good because if, if it's a secret and if it's in the dark, it needs to be brought to the light. God says we walk in light. We should live in light, right? Here's why I say that. Because James 5, verse 16, verse you should write down under letter A. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's sin, there's problems. What's like step one? Step one is you confess it to God. Well, I just told God. Well, probably if you want to get done with this, you should probably tell somebody. Yeah. For you... Again, thinking about you guys, high school students, uh, a very, very important step for this is for you to talk to your parents. Right? That might be even harder. It might be easier for you to tell your small group leader, harder for you to maybe tell your parents. Okay? But you got parents, especially ones that brought you here, especially ones that care about this kind of stuff, they should be the first people you talk to. Ladies, you should talk to your mom. Some of you ladies are stuck in this sin right now, and you need to go today Find a private time with a trusted person, specifically your mother, and you need to tell her what the problem is. You need to tell her that you want to be done with it. Okay. You men, you've got husbands, not husbands, you've got fathers. <laughs> Don't have husbands, thankfully. Sorry about that. Was, glad I could break the tension of the sermon by making a mistake. you got fathers. Your mother's husbands, there you go, <laughs> fixed it, who have prayed for you, care about you, and if I were to ask them today, hey, do you think your son is like sexually pure? Do you think he's looking at pornography? Do you think, do you think he's got some kind of problem with his girlfriend or boyfriend? I, it'd be interesting to hear what they say. Some of them, I think most of them would be like, oh, no, 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 I think, I think they're good, right? I think the stats are probably more true than what your dads think, right? because I think you don't tell your dads your dads don't know. I think many of you wait to be caught in sin before confessing sin. So, confess your sin to a trusted mentor. If you don't have Christian parents, if they don't care, if they just laugh at you and they don't even, you know, they don't care at all, right? Well, then tell your small group leader, right? Tell somebody who cares about your growth and godliness because it's not going to get better without that. Letter B, 
The scriptures also teach that if you have any relationships that are sexually immoral, that those relationships need to end. So letter B, end any sexual, sexually immoral relationships. That's step two. No, what do I do? I love them. I love my boyfriend and girlfriend. I love them. Okay. A couple passages for you about this. After you write that down, I'd love for you to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. You can turn there if you're fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to see this. A couple passages even here in 1 Corinthians. This church had this problem that was bad that I'll describe in a second. One of the bigger problems was the church wasn't dealing with it. It wasn't a secret sexual sin. It was a known sexual sin. People knew about it, and they weren't confronting it. And Paul has to describe from Scripture, like, what is the body? Why is sexual immorality wrong? So he explains it in a big way. This is a big conversation. But his punchline on why sexual immorality is so bad is here in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Actually, start in verse um, verse 16. We get a little more context. It says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, right? So there are some serious problems in this church, some Christian men going to prostitutes. That's weird. Why would that ever happen? Well, because that's how worship took place in the city of Corinth. If that's what everybody did, if that was the bar that all the guys went to, if that was the place that they all hung out, right? Kind of hard for some of these Christian men not to like just go with the flow and be like, oh, that's what everybody does. Yeah, let's, let's do that. So Paul has to say, no, no, you join with a prostitute. You become one flesh with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So interesting thing about sex that you learn right here. Okay? Sex connects people in a physical way, even you could say a spiritual way. Right? He makes a bigger deal. It's not just that like, for however long these two bodies are interconnected. No, he's saying more than that. You become one flesh with this person. So he says, hey, prostitute, absolutely not. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So it's a bigger deal because as a Christian, if you're, you're one in Christ, it's like you, you go and make one flesh with somebody else that's immorality. Like you're offending God. It says, therefore, flee sexual immorality. That's verse 18. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Right, I've told this to you before. Some people will say there's no difference between sexual sin and other sins. They're, they're, there's no difference. We should treat them exactly the same way. The Bible doesn't treat them the same way. Paul says they're not the same at all. There's some similarities. All sin is bad. All sin condemns us. But he says this kind of sin is worse because it's enslaving. It has to do with your body. It makes it even worse. Because you sin against your own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. So now you're not just including other Christians. Now you're like including God in his temple, which is your body. Because you're not your own. Right? You, that, that translation is you're a slave. You're not your own. You're a slave. What? No. Keep reading. For you were bought with a price. Oh, that's slave language. Right? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Slave language. Bible says that you are a slave of Christ, that he owns you. That he's your master. As uncomfortable as that might sound, that's what the Bible teaches very clearly. So, glorify God with your body. Because right? you're not your own. Right? Even if you're like, oh, that's why I'm not a Christian. Glad, I'm my own. Right? Well, you're leasing your body. Right? 
God takes it back because God will have judgment in the end. End any sexual, sexually immoral relationships. It's like, well, that doesn't say end those relationships. Well, turn back one page to chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the situation. Here's what brings this about. Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, so these Christians, and of a kind that's not even tolerated by the pagans. So the outside world still is like, whoa, that's a problem. What was it? For a man has his father's wife, okay? So there was a guy having sex with his stepmom, and it was known, and people knew about it. And perhaps they walked into church together, and it was like this known thing. Like even the world's like, that's, that's messed up. So he says, well, verse 2, and you're arrogant. You Christians, you're arrogant. You're almost like proud of your tolerance. Look how tolerant we are. We don't condemn this person. You're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. It's like, don't let that person come back to church. Whoa. Why? Well, verse 3, though I'm absent in body, I'm not with you guys. I am present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. That's pretty judgmental. Yes, it is. Right? Definitionally judgmental. They even use the word. Why would he do that? But when you're assembling in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Whoa, judgmental. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says, you know what's best for a church when there's sexual immorality that's known and confessed, and for this person, unrepentant. Remember that. This guy didn't slip. He didn't make a mistake. He owned this relationship and continued this relationship. It sounds like they were proud of this relationship because they're arrogant. Okay? We're not talking about making a mistake. We're not talking about going further than you want to one time. We're talking about a person who's engaging in ongoing sexual immorality, which can happen for you, most likely, in a situation where there's a boyfriend and girlfriend that are regularly having sex or regularly committing some kind of sexual sin. Okay? So you want to continue that. You want to be unrepentant of that. God's like pretty clear here through his word. It's not good. But he wants this guy and his so-called wife to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Hard passage to interpret. Like, what does that mean? Right? Well, what we know it means is that this person is supposed to be removed from the church and church life and not take communion and not be a part of the worship service. That's what was supposed to happen so that their spirit may be saved. Well, we find out later this person did repent and then they're welcome back in. Right? So what we're not saying is, hey, if you've made a mistake or even if you've chosen to live in ongoing immorality, you're done. God has nothing for you. This passage actually leads to the opposite. The reason this strong action is supposed to be taking place is so that you would be saved, so that repentance would happen. Right? If, if your church didn't take your sin seriously, would you ever stop doing it? Especially if you liked it. If your small group leader didn't find it a big deal, would you ever stop? Probably not. Even more clear, in Matthew 18, Jesus uses this language about cutting off. And it's weird because it's in Matthew 5, Matthew 18. He uses the same language both times. In Matthew 18, 7, he says, Woe to the world. Curses on the world, man, for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom temptations come. What does that have to do with what they're talking about? And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. 
Better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands and be thrown into the eternal fire. So he uses the same language, but what is he talking about? He's talking about temptations to sin. And you say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with people. You know the next thing he's going to talk about in Matthew 18? Oh, if brother's sinning against brother and they're unrepentant, what are they supposed to do? Right? After once, after twice, after talking to the church, let him be to you a, ge- a Gentile and a tax collector and a sinner. Right? The relationship has to end. Right? So what I'm saying for you is if you're in a relationship, which again, it's not marriage. I know that for sure. Okay? But if, if you're in a romantic relationship where there's sexual immorality happening, right, then your relationship needs to end. Right? Say it definitively. Even if you love each other, well, then let's have the relationship end. How about you repent? And then we can work on some kind of relationship later. But you got to repent first. Separation has to take place. It has to. That's letter B. Letter C. What's the next step? Step three. This might be even more personal. But after a relationship has ended or, or, or serious action has taken place, then what is an ongoing thing? Letter C. Stop consuming sexually arousing content. Right? Well, that makes sense. If you're trying to fight this and if you're trying not to get lured in, you know, it's a bad idea is to put a bunch of bait in front of your face all the time, right? I want to work out. I want to work out. I want to work out. I don't want to eat donuts. I don't want to eat donuts, but I go to Krispy Kreme every day, right? I don't eat them. I just watch. Have you seen that trend of that girl who, like, smells like a donut and then eats her salad? Have you seen that? Okay, I saw this video. It was really interesting. It was like, She's trying to, like, convince herself that it was good tasting, right? It was probably kale or something bad, right? And, but she had, like, something really sweet, and she'd, like, smell it, eat, smell it, eat. And it was like, whoa, this is weird. I don't think that's accomplishing anything good, right? But, no, like, let's say you're even more extreme than that. Let's say you're like, oh, no, I, I just, I, I really want to stop eating the donuts, but I go to Krispy Kreme every day, and I sit there, and I look at it, and I kind of want it, and, you know, they're only, like, $1.09, right? And a dozen, I mean, maybe inflation brought it up, but, you know. Uh, for 10 bucks, you can have a lot of donuts. Can you just stop going to Krispy Kreme? That might be step one, right? Not consuming content. And by content, right, that, that's a broad word I'm talking about. Music, I'm talking about movies, I'm talking about social media, that is arousing you sexually, as weird as that is to say, right? A lot of it is for that purpose. Some of it's not even for that purpose, but it still does that, right, for you. That's why there's not a law that says, hey, you know, you can't have social media. That it's wrong. It's, it's not always wrong, right? But if it's leading you to sin, you need to stop then, right? Obviously. Right? If it matters to you, you will. Proverbs 6 puts it like this. Proverbs 6, 25 to 29, section father to the son about sexual sin. He says, don't desire her beauty in your heart. He's talking about a guy who's being tempted to cheat on his wife, right? Don't desire that lady's beauty in your heart. Don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. He says, for the price of a prostitute's a loaf of bread, right? Oh, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. He's warning his son, you know, prostitute's bad enough, but a married woman, that's even worse. Then he says, can a man carry fire close to his chest and not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Again, I know we're going beyond what our text is talking about to some kind of actual sexual immorality, but you realize where does this start? He says, if you've got a relationship, if you've got a thing, if you've got some content, if you've got something that's like taking you there, right? Well, then it's like you got fire and you're trying to carry it close to your chest somehow and you're expecting your clothes not to get burned. They're just going to get burned, right? So 
stop consuming it. There are certain playlists that you have that you listen to that bring about sexual arousal. As weird as that is to say, some of you have those. You've got accounts that you follow. You go to the Explore page. There's things that you find that you know are leading you into more sin if you're honest, right? If you want to take this seriously, step three is like, okay, well then let's cut that off. Okay, are you serious about it yet? Are you, are you, do you want to repent yet? Right? Because if not, we're on this bad road, but if, but if you want to repent, this is what it looks like. Step four, this is even more personal, but maybe a little nicer. Step four, you need to fill your mind with true, pure, and good things. Okay, that's part of this. Purity is not maintained simply by denying something. It's not by saying no to some things and yes to nothing. Okay? You, you have to reject some things from going in. That's totally true, right? But also, it's by allowing good things to fill your mind. Okay? So, for some of you, like, the situation in which you're most tempted let's say with your boyfriend or girlfriend, is because you purposely get yourself alone. You purposely try to get away from people. Maybe it's in your car or maybe one side's house because you know mom and dad never come over to that side of the house, but they're always at that one. So we'll always go to the one where the parents aren't. We'll always go to the place where people aren't. We'll always have the lights off because, you know, it's just weird, right? But let's get a secret, right? Okay, you're, you're, you're walking into this path. What does filling your mind with goodness and truth and, and beauty and all that, what does that do? Right? Well, it replaces what you would have been doing that lead, led you into sin to, now let's replace it with some good, and maybe we won't even have the same temptations when the time comes. Because if you weren't filling your mind with garbage, then maybe it'd be easier when the time comes, and not maybe, it definitely would be easier when the time comes. Here's a verse for you to write down, Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 8. After talking about anxiety, which is another can of worms, right? Starts with your mind, what you think of. In this passage about anxiety, Paul says, you know, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's what you should be filling your mind with. Some of you are like, well, you're not really far down the rabbit hole of lust and, and sexual sin and secret stuff, but you're filling your mind with garbage. Like, let's stop filling your mind with garbage. Perhaps maybe one of the reasons you're not ready to fight this sin of lust when the time comes is because all of what you've done to lead up to that is not helpful for the fight. Oh, but when you're listening to sermons and you're, you're listening to music that might, I don't know, praise God instead of praising you and your sexuality or your desires, Right? You listen to some things that maybe make you think about life. Maybe you listen to some podcast or a Christian book or something like that, and then that's what your mind's filled with. Oh, then you're with boyfriend and girlfriend, and maybe you're talking about that. Maybe you're going, and it's not spiritual at all. It's just like you, I don't know, go play sports together, right? Go to In-N-Out, where it's really bright, right? Whatever's good and true, it's like, this is good, right? Seriously, eat, eat your In-N-Out, not in the car, not in the corner of the parking lot. Maybe just eat it inside. Because whatever is good and true and honorable and noble and praiseworthy, just do that. Right? And then when the time comes, your window of temptation is so much smaller and shorter and easier to say no to. It's not impossible to fall into sin when you do those good things. I'm not saying that. But this is deep down this progression. 
of we, we want to get out of this. We want to fill our minds with what's good. And lastly, most long-term, step five, letter E, learn to live with long-term sacrifices for your purity. Learn to live with long-term sacrifices for your purity. The reason I bring this up is because some of us will say, okay, let's like change our rules or our boundary or let's just do it. We'll do it for a month. And then you do it for a month. And you're like, man, we're so good. Now let's take all that off and go back to how we did before. It's like, well, what do you think is going to happen when you go back to how things were before? I have a secret for you. It's probably going to go back to like things were before, right? Long-term sacrifices. Some of you, right, to go back to the phone and social media and things like that, some of you will make the commitment even today that, like, you just can't do it. You just can't have it. It's just not good for you, right? And some of you will make that commitment, and you'll be faithful to that commitment. Others of you will say, yeah, yeah, it's not good for me. I should get rid of it, and you delete it, and then, like, next week, it's back on. My point is, this is not going to be successful for you if you don't get to get to know and get used to some of these long-term sacrifices. Some of you who have maybe crossed the line physically with a boyfriend or girlfriend, when that relationship ends, like we talked about in step two, letter B, you might be in a new relationship next year with somebody different, and you know what? You learned something from how you were before, and you might say stuff like, hey, I know like most people are fine with this. I just cannot be in this situation, right? So we're not going to do that. Not because you did anything wrong. I'm not blaming you. Just I can't. Because I, I just can't deal with this, right? And I've messed up, right? And I need to, I need to live with long-term sacrifices because it leads to what's good. Now, that's the thing that's been missing from this whole sermon. I'm sorry, right? We're reaching the end, and I have not talked about what's good about all this. Because the goodness that we're striving for is not just some kind of self-domination that we just are like a bunch of, you know, chads or sick. Like, we're not like just, like, oh, I'm so good. I'm super strong. I got all, like, that's not, sorry. That didn't make any sense. Here's what I'm trying to say. There is good to every single one of you making decisions to be more pure. There's a great book. I'd recommend you read it or listen to it. It's really short. It's 93 pages. Uh, it's an older book by Randy Alcorn called The Purity Principle. And I love what The Purity Principle is. So here's what the principle is. It's really long. I'm just kidding. It's short. Purity is always smart. Impurity is always stupid. That's The Purity Principle. That's it. What are the other 93 pages about? Well, they're about explaining that, right? Because what we think is, oh, we wouldn't call it impurity, but going further, wanting more, looking longer, searching something out that's wrong. I know it's wrong, but I want it, and it's, it's good for me. It's like, no, you're drinking poison, right? Here's another principle. Drinking poison is always stupid. Avoiding drinking poison is always smart, right? Very simple doesn't say that sex is stupid, right? If that's not what he's saying. He's saying impurity, right? He describes all these stories, and that's why this book is good. One of the stories is about a guy right at the beginning of the book. He says, there's a guy who came into my office. This guy's a pastor who wrote it. He came to my office, and he said, I'm mad at God. And he's like, okay, why are you mad at God? Well, I just committed adultery, right? He's like, well, why? Again, I don't understand why you're mad at God. He says, because I prayed and prayed and asked God that I would not do that. I, pr- I prayed to God. So I don't want to commit adultery, right? Alcorn's famous for taking a, a book, pushing it to the edge of the table, right? 
the guy's all confused, right? He's like, what? Wait. He says, hey, God. And he starts, the, the pastor starts praying, God, please don't let this book fall onto the ground. Please don't let this book fall on the ground. And he pushes it and pushes it. God, I'll be so mad at you if this book falls to the ground. And oh, pushes the book off and it falls, right? Do we have any right to be mad at God in that situation? Obviously not, right? Because you kept pushing it. If you're praying one thing and doing another thing, right? We're not serious about what we're praying about. We're not serious about it. He talks about that guy who's a young guy, newly married, right? Had a young daughter. Um, this guy was still mad at God, did not repent, right? Had some show of repentance, right? Felt bad about the adultery, right? His relationship with his wife fell apart. This is a real story. Um, he became a pedophile. He, he molested his own daughter and went to jail. And near the end of his life, began to be repentant, right? But not until he ruined his life and all the people around him because of his impurity. The other thing about impurity is that it doesn't just mess you up. It messes your whole circle, right? Everybody in the, in the vicinity, right? Again, there's more we could say about this, but hopefully those five steps will be helpful for you. Think about all the ways that this could ruin your life. And I know that's like fear-based. You're like, ah, oh, that's fear. It is fear-based because that's how God's word presents this sin. You should be afraid. We've got four small group questions. We're going to talk about that this week. Um, really important topic. Some of you need to think about it today. Some of you need to talk to your parents today. Let me pray and ask that God would help us put this into practice. Let's pray. God, we know that when your word says something, it's true. We know that you are a shield for all those who take refuge in you. We know that there is forgiveness in repentance, you know that there's forgiveness in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Pray for these students, many of whom are stuck in this sin, to, to get out of it, starting by confessing this to somebody. Pray that you would find the place in your heart, God, to forgive them. I know that you do every time. You promise to do that to people who are willing to repent. Pray in particular for the people right now who are listening to my voice who are unwilling to repent. Pray that this sermon, even in a small way, would start to move them towards repentance, and I pray that you would work on their hearts, that you would break them down and, and, and show them that this sin is so serious and so problematic, and there's something so good that you're offering to them that they just need to wait for. I pray that this would motivate all of us to be more pure, more righteous in our hearts, and that you would even bring about some sanctification in our ministry because of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.